Welcome to episode 20 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. This is your host, Eric Gall. And for all of our listeners, I just want to remind you that we are currently still recording our mini-series on housing for people with a disability. And uh, if that's a topic that interests you, make sure to go over to empoweringability.org and grab the free download on creating uh, your home. It's a great workbook that'll help you start to think about what your vision is for home and how to start to implement that and start the conversation. So go on over to empoweringability.org and grab that for you and your family. So today we're taking a break from the mini series on housing for people with a disability to talk with David Roche. And uh, the topic uh, that we're going to talk about is finding your inner George Clooney. And uh, David describes himself as a inspirational humorist. And uh, think of inspirational in terms of helping uh others to find inspiration within within inside of themselves, not using his disability or or his uh, facial difference, I should say, uh, to to inspire others and and for others to be inspired by the things that he does because of his difference, but rather to help individuals look inside and to examine their own self-worth and to build their own inner beauty and self-confidence. So really cool chat today with um, with David. And this is a, a podcast that I recommend for everybody, not just uh, families and individuals with disabilities. So here's David. Enjoy. Hey, David. Uh, welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks for creating the, the space to join me today. Glad to be here, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, David, I saw you speak at um, Partners for Planning uh, the Art of Belonging, and you did a TED-style talk there. And um, one of the things that um, that really struck me, especially when you opened with your, with your talk, um, you mentioned that you always ask people to ask about your face. And, and to kind of get that out there and to, and to talk about it. So the listeners right now uh, aren't able to see you, so they might not ex- exactly know what I'm, I'm talking about. Um, could you, um, maybe we could start there and you, if you could share maybe why you asked that question. Um, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, I do that uh, because uh, I'm an audience lover. Uh, and and being a public speaker and performer, I have uh, an interest in giving the audience what they want. And in this situation, I'm standing in front of people, many of whom have never seen me before, and I have a facial difference. I was born with what is called a vascular malformation on the left side of my face and neck swollen veins that are not uh, engorged, they're twisted, they're purplish, and uh, and, and they're still there, and they grew, has grown and grown over the years. Uh, as a baby, I had uh, 
surgeries and I've got a lip was cut off. I had other facial surgeries and kind of uh, uh, a cut and taste kind of work. And I had heavy radiation therapy that made the bottom part of my face start growing and I've lost my teeth. So here's what I'm used to in life. When I meet someone for the first time, for example, say, a cashier at a Tim Hortons, um, they are absorbed in the visual. And uh, so I'll say, okay, I want uh, a plain old-fashioned donut and a double-double. And, and they'll go off and get me a cup of tea and no donut. Because <laughs> they're so absorbed in the visual that they cannot actually hear what I am saying. So I've learned to deal with that as soon as possible. Then there's a factor of people being uh, nervous and embarrassed. Are they going to say something uh, wrong? Uh, so I want to clear that out of the way. And, and people are curious. That's the question. What happened to your face? Now, uh, you know, young kids will often ask that. People who are drunk will often ask that. Um, so, and I'm giving the people what they want, and I'm getting it out of the way. Here's what happened. Okay, we're done. Now let's move on. And it works. It's really, uh, it's really effective. And at, at a deeper level, there are four levels of fear. This is my opinion. I am H-O. Oh, no. I am A-O in my arrogant opinion. Uh, there are four levels of fear that uh, a, a uh, okay, deformed face uh, can bring up because, you know, the face is where the human persona is located. Uh, so there's a fear of you know, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to say something impolite or lewd. There's a fear of, like, oh, my God, I'm going to catch a disease. There's a fear of, oh, my God, this is guy's like Freddy Krueger. He's going to hurt me. And there's the fourth and the worst fear is the fear that I myself am disfigured. This guy reminds me that there is something disfigured about me. So there's a deep channels that are flowing there when you encounter someone who looks different. And that obviously applies to lots of different kinds of people, people with uh, obvious visible disabilities, people with uh, brown skin. I'm talking about the Canadian world, indigenous people. They're subject to that kind of uh, reaction. and judgment. So uh, that's uh, that's going deep on the answer to that question. Uh, but uh, you know, right uh, on the face of it, it's making the audience comfortable and clearing out space for myself. And I reveal myself as being uh, willing to be vulnerable and um, authentic. Right. Uh, so it's all good. Yeah, and it sounds like you don't just do that with audiences, you do that in, in everyday life. One of the things that I have learned um, from having a facial difference 
is that, uh, well, kind of implicitly, what I already said is everybody feels disfigured. Um, also, I've learned that uh, the first uh, three minutes doesn't count. You know, I used to think that people were uh, judging me. Some people do. Um, but mainly people are just getting used to me. So if you just ignore that period of time when people are getting used to you uh, and give them time to take a second look, then things are a little better. So uh, that's kind of what's going on there. Yeah, and just reflecting on that, the, the first three minutes you're – uh, people are just getting used to you. When I yeah. reflect on my experiences, uh, my first three minutes with, with anybody, yeah. it's just getting used to them. Um, so it's, it's not any different. Yeah. Right. It's getting to know somebody a little bit. I, I that's the way I look at it. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So David, just going back, you mentioned, uh, in your own opinion, opinion, there was kind of those four, four fears and it sounded like the first three fears were fear uh held by the other person and the fourth fear was fear held by you no no okay the fourth fear is also held by the other person okay uh, you know i think that uh people especially people the facial uh, difference uh we carry the weight of that fear for people. And it took me years as a performer to realize this. That, um, when people come up and share with me uh, things like oh, how I, they'd say, oh, I felt so terrible when I was in seventh grade. Uh, and, and explain something that was, well, actually, I, I tell a story in my show a woman who came up to me when I was first performing after the show and told me how she had suffered because of her freckles. And uh, I wanted to punch her. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, who are you? But then, you know, that was the beginning of realizing that everybody carries a feeling inside themselves that there's something wrong with them. And... Uh, uh, often in our Western culture, that has to do with appearance, and there obviously women have to deal with that more than men do, but everybody has to deal with it in some way. It's also uh, the fact that uh, I think, and I'm getting pretty philosophical here, that it's inculcated in people culturally and has been for millennia. Uh, for example, uh, the concept of original sin in Christianity, that human beings are evil from the moment of conception. Or in the, in the, in the East, it's karma. Oh, it's something you did in the entire lifetime. That's why you fucked up, you know, that kind of, of thing. Uh, and so I believe that we all carry a little place inside ourselves where that fear and doubt um, resides. And if you don't deal with that, what can raise from self-loathing to self-doubt, 
then uh, you uh, uh, pray for the uh, predators, mm-hmm. uh, financial, sexual, political, world monitoring, on and on, cosmetics, uh, plastic surgeons, they're not all predators. But, uh, so uh, that's one of the reasons why I believe that people with disabilities are now no longer victims, no longer survivors, but starting to emerge, as Jean Vanier says, as leaders. Because I would say I have learned to deal with that feeling inside myself because it was displayed on my face. I could not avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I have learned some life lessons that you really need to know, that everybody uh, needs to know because, as I say, if you don't deal with that feeling of a lack of self-worth, that's where the predators are going to get you. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, want to dive into that, into those yeah. lessons that you've learned. But before we do that, I want to give you credit for being the first guest to to drop the f bomb on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's so it's so well placed. <laughs> it was good. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah the floodgates are open now right so um if we if we dive into that feeling of of self self-worth and and the lessons that you've learned along your journey um what really stands out for you david that you'd like to share with uh with the listeners i i you know there's a way that is the question that I feel it's my calling to try to answer. I say my face is a gift because I had to find my duty inside. So kids ask, and I often work with school children, uh, how do you do that? That's great that your face is a gift, but you had to find your inner duty. You know, how did that happen? How well, uh, if I could put that in a bottle, oh boy. Um, You'd be a millionaire. So yeah. Or <laughs> a billionaire. Uh, elements to how, so I, uh, I, I, I've been, I'm writing my second book and I'm trying to, uh, and trying to answer, answer that question. So if, if I feel like, yeah, well, we have known, we know how to do, how to find our inner duty because those of us who are disabled or have visible disabilities, visible disabilities, uh, uh, have the inside track of that sort of thing. There's just, it's so complex and complicated. Like, I feel like I got a lot from my family. I lucked out. I, you know, I was the first born, I was born during wartime I was you know like a little blessing in the family and uh, so I had an advantage there but there's just so many other things you know, you have to learn to take risks uh, uh, you have you learn, I, I don't know it's it's a very difficult question to answer and I'm really trying to uh, you know so it boils down to things like you know as I think about this I think okay, how do I look in the mirror? 
Uh, when I look in the mirror, and, and it, so this, this becomes advice for uh, someone who's concerned about their appearance, so trying to deal with that inner feeling of a lack of self-worth. I say, when you look in the mirror, that's not you, okay? That's how other people see you, okay? So when you look in the mirror, do this. Don't go looking for all your little flaws and things that are wrong with you. Look in your eyes and love yourself and smile and say good morning and say how wonderful you are. Like that, okay? Um, because if you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking that that's you, you're wrong. Because the real you is, as Jean Vanier says, it's love and community. The real you comes out with other people. Mm. And it comes out in the form of love. Uh, that's a little arcane, I think. But, you know, this is the best way I know how to talk about this at this point. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing your thoughts on that question. It's definitely a, a, a big question, um, David. And I, I love your your message on when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and, and you see yourself, that's, you know, it's not, doesn't have to be how you see yourself. That's how other people are going to see you, but to look in your eyes and to tell yourself that, that you love yourself and, and, and that you are, you know, confident and, and, and you have self-worth is, is important. Yeah. His, I say you have to find your inner judge Clooney. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, Gloria's voice gave into a word. I just want to say, hey, looking good this morning. <laughs> you know, just get into how sexy you are. Right. I love that. Yeah, now all I can think about is, is my inner George Clooney. So I'm, uh, <laughs> well, that, you know, I. I learned probably that the young people just have a vague idea of who George Clooney is, you know, as it's moved on to, you know, younger people, it's moved on to Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey, but uh, <laughs> he might be getting a little too old these days. Yeah. My wife and I do a program called Love at Second Sight about uh, appearance and accessibility and Disability and diversity. In talking to kids, I uh, this was actually a few years ago, but I, I we do a, a question and answer session, and, and in that I made a reference to Jack Benny. You know, it's like as demonstrating a point. It's like, <laughs> I tell him, oh, it's like Jack Benny, and the kids are, yeah, who? <laughs> So I learned not to make cultural references, you know, like, uh, you know, no, it's not Mariah Carey. Sometimes people don't even know who Mariah Carey is. Yeah. So time and goes by. The importance of knowing your audience, right? Oh, yes. You mentioned the work that you and your wife do. Would you be able to share a little bit about that, David? There might be uh, people listening that are that are interested. The story starts in Canada. I was invited in 1998 to keynote at the family conference of the Nader and Miller Syndrome Association. Uh, I convinced Marlena 
to come with me. We were living in San Francisco at the time. By that time, she was not interested in hearing what I had to say on stage or at the mic. But I thought, well, we'll get a vacation in Vancouver. I had never been there before. Um, so we show up, we go to the dinner, and neither and Miller syndromes can manifest at birth in uh, very severe uh, facial differences, um, missing a mandible, uh, missing eyelids, foster limbs, etc. So uh, here's all these kids running around with all these differences, and they're totally loved, and they're totally shining and beautiful, and Marlena falls in love with Cyrus, who's five. I wake up the next morning at 5 a.m., going to do the keynote, and I realize I want Marlena to be part of it. I wake her up, and she agrees, uh, because she's vulnerable. It's not something she's ever done. She's totally nervous, but uh, she's motivated by love. So I start the chemo, and then I introduce her. She does not even know what she's going to say. She tells the story of meeting me for the first time when she heard my voice before she saw my face. And uh, it was in a situation where we were both volunteering to do massage in a hospital. And we were doing the training to learn the protocols and that. She was in a hospital room on one side of the curtain getting a foot massage. She had not met anybody else. She hears my voice. I sound like I'm six foot three with curly black hair and bronze skin and uh, tight jeans. And in her mind, I was wearing cowboy boots. Um, so she wants to meet me because I sound, my voice sounds good, and I'm listening to my partner that I'm doing the massage on the other side of the curtain. She sees the, <laughs> the George Clooney that you see in the mirror. Yeah, that's right. She's <laughs> George Clooney. She, uh, it's time to switch partners. She opens a curtain. She sees my face. She freaks out. It's like, ah, and she runs away. So um, then she follows her heart back to me, and then uh, we become friends, and then we become lovers, and then we get married. And it's, uh, But it's the story of love at second sight. And um, so we do this, with the, and, and, and then I tell my story of what life was like for me when I was 12 years old, and um, uh, we give the kids what they like. Funny, uh, physical, authentic. Do not tell them what to do. Just tell stories and let them figure it out, which they're quite capable of. Uh, we've made this into a film now, by the way. Um, What's the film called? Love at Second Sight. Okay. It's loveatsecondsight.org. It's on the, uh, on the web. Okay. I'm trying to get it into the schools. Yeah, it started there, and then uh, we just kept on doing it. We've done it like at a couple of hundred schools, um, and it's you know it's boy, it's hard to say what is the, my favorite part of what I do, but it, at the moment that I love the most is uh, I I I tell the story of 
my mother used to tell me all the time, Daisy, you're so smart. You could do anything you want to be, honey. And I got that reassurance, um, which I found out lots of people don't get that reassurance. Um, and, uh, and so I learned that the audience loves to hear that simple story. So I started saying it to the audience, like, like and this is my mother saying it, honey. And then I realized with the kids, I'll say it directly to two or three kids. I'll go right up to them from about two and a half feet away, and they're sitting there in the classroom, and I'll say, honey, you are so smart. You could do anything you want to do. And I go right into their eyes, and they just go, whoa. They just light up. Oh, my God. And I'm giving them what I got. In that moment, honey, you're so smart. It, <laughs> and, and last year, I got an email back from a, a little girl, little girl, a twelve-year-old that I had, uh, I had done that with, and she wrote, "When you looked me in the eyes and told me that I was smart and beautiful, I believed you, and now I know that I am. I know that I am all the time." And I thought, wow, what a great email to get. Um, so, uh, but the interesting thing was I did not tell her she was beautiful. I just told her she was smart. <laughs> so she got it, though. She got that she was beautiful. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So that's that's what I love. Uh, I love to know. And that, and if, I, I, if I have like a target audience, I would say it's that 12-year-old girl. Because, you know, the kids, they're right vibrating between, you know, childhood and puberty, and, uh, uh, and, and they could go either way, and they do. And, uh, um, so this, and I remember when my daughter, Amy, was 11, she came home from school and uh, said, Dad, is my butt too big? And I, Oh, no, 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 it started. Um, so, right. there you go. Yeah, right at, that, right at that age range of, you know, 11, 12, we're still, uh, our, our belief system is still malleable, right? We're still trying to figure out the rules that we need to, to live by. Yes, um, and the rules are very important. They apply to backpacks, they apply to shoes, they apply to... Where you live, they apply to the car that your parents drive, you know, on and on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and they also apply to how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. And yeah, that's interesting. I, I teach uh, storytelling, and I, I, and I do that with also with uh, people with all kinds of disabilities, including developmental disabilities. And, uh, um, I, I, you know, I did not find my creativity until I was 44 years old and got on stage for the first time. As I say, I had to quit drinking and I had to fall in love and be loved and know that I was loved and that changed things for me. So I'm sort of like uh, developmentally delayed in that respect. And uh, so I'd love to encourage people when they're young or at any point in their lives to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. And it's, I love it. I just, I just did that uh, 
I went to the, I was at that, uh, six days ago, I was at the Children's Cranial Facial Association Retreat in Reston, Virginia. I did a keynote and I taught storytelling and it was mostly, it was, so there were 600 people there. Oh God, I got four standing ovations in one day. Holy shit. That was a good day. Um, there was a whole lot of love. Uh, the storytelling. Uh, uh, there was uh, lots and lots of children and adults with craniofacial disorders. Uh, and it was, wow, it was uh, great to hear people tell their stories in all ways. And, the, and to see that to have corroboration for that idea that these are people that can be leaders, that are leaders, with so much resilience and strength, so many little George Clooney's running around. And you make a, a fantastic point that um, everybody has a story. Even if we don't think we have a story, everybody has a story. And uh, yeah. Right, and to be able to think about what your story is, to be able to communicate to that that to other people, um, is important. It it's, it's it helps you understand, you know, I guess who you are, who you have been, and and helps you think about where you want to go moving forward too. Uh, absolutely, I think it's a really important thing to tell your story. I I when I first got on stage, I would make really, you know, st stupid jokes about my face, like, uh, like, oh, it's a Ben and Jerry sweater. What would you call it? You know, and uh, I didn't know. It took me years to realize that uh, my story is a universal story. And, uh, and People just want me to be myself in uh, keynoting and on stage um, because my story is the same as theirs because everybody has to deal with what I have dealt with in one way or the other. So it means the more that I am authentic and let myself be myself and get into the what seems like a very individual story, the more individual it is the more it explodes into a universal. So that's why I, I, I love teaching stories, and I, I agree it's incredibly important for people to, you know, and one of the things I say when I'm doing a storytelling workshop is I say, your first job is not to tell a story. Your first job is to listen, okay? And you're not just listening to other people. You tell your story, and you have to listen to yourself and what do you have to say yeah I, I, it sounds like that you're you know you're following your purpose in what you're doing it's interesting yes i agree i feel like i am following my purpose and it's great to work with my wife with marlena to have a partner in doing this uh and uh, um I, you know a lot of times i feel confused about that i i, I feel like and I, I don't know. I react. I try not to react. I try to respond. You know, I'm doing and my second book. Uh, 
which is entitled Standing at the Zap Door of Happiness, um, which is indicating like, well, the way to be happy is a little different than you thought. I'm uh, going to be in a feature film uh, called Happy Face, uh, which is going to be shot in Montreal in this fall. And, and uh, yeah, book, uh, and, uh, and we have to figure out how, hopefully we have a distributor for the film. We'll see how that goes. Fantastic. A question that comes to mind is there's a lot of um, brothers, sisters, parents, um, other supporters that listen to the podcast. So if they've got that, you know, 12 year old son or daughter, brother or sister or, or person that they're supporting and they have that visible, uh, they have a visible disability. What can, as supporters, what can we do to, to help those people um, that have a visible disability to, um, to gain that self-confidence and to really um, either learn or bolster their, their inner beauty? Well, that's a large uh, question again, and, and uh, I'm good at that, aren't I? Yeah, there's <laughs> plenty of places to go with uh, answering a question like that. But um, I tried to think, uh, what did I get from my six uh, siblings? So I, I was kind of I was the oldest, so I didn't have that experience from somebody older. But I got a lot of love from my siblings, which uh, in my parents, um, and uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's the same as anybody else. It, it ha- if you have um, a constant friend, um, I don't know the answer to that. I I, I just say my feeling is. If you are asking yourself that question as a sibling of someone with uh, a visible disability, then you are already there, is what I say. So uh, uh, just the fact that you want to know the answer to that question means that in some way you know the answer, Mm. Uh, because otherwise you wouldn't be asking it. And... uh, yeah, and, and and so that means you'll be encountering different situations in life and you have to puzzle your way through it. Uh, but with a good heart, you will puzzle your way through it. And and you also mess up um, and do stupid things because that's who you are. You have a part of you that does stupid things. Um, and then the lesson is how you recover from that. And, and deal with the fact that you just do the things. And your sibling with the visible disability does do the things too. So, right. No, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, part of this, I, geez, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, which had many, many good things about it. I was nurtured. I was told that I was a child of God. I was told that who I was was a soul, something inside me. I didn't know what that was exactly, but it was inside me. 
and it was of value. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was great. But then there's also the element of Catholicism. Actually, when I was 13, I, I wanted to go to study to be a Catholic priest, but uh, I, I was interviewed by the Holy Cross Fathers at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana in the States, and they told me that I was too ugly to be a priest. Um, and that the parishioners would not be able to have any respect for me because of my unfortunate appearance. So that was uh, uh, a, a real shock because, uh, you know, the way I grew up, I was told that when a priest, a priest speaks, that's the word of God. Uh, so I heard God telling me that I was a freak and a monster. So there's, you know, the Catholic Church is complicated. So but my point here is that it's hard for me to deal with rules and authority a lot. Okay. So I try not to give rules myself. But you know, when I wrote my first book, the editor said, no, 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 you have to have a a takeaway at the end of each chapter. It has to be like a little moral to your story. And I said, no, I don't <laughs> want it to be moral. Said, well, you have to, because that's what they want. Yeah. So for uh, our listeners, uh, David, could you just share the name of your book and uh, and just at a high level what the book is about in case people are interested in, in picking that up? And I'll link to it in the, in the notes of the podcast too. Sure. It's uh, the title is the Church of Eighty Percent Sincerity. Uh, that's also the title of uh, what was my signature show, um, and uh, it's based on an editor at Penguin Books uh, found out about me, checked out my website, and asked me if I would write a book based on my show. So I did. And it's got a lot of stories in. It's not like a story of my life, but it's got funny story. It's a great book, and it's got a great forward by Annie Lamont, who's like one of the best writers ever. Uh, Church of Jesus and Sincerity. You know where you can get it. I don't need to tell you. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that up for myself, David. I'm excited to to read into that. Too. Um, before when we were just talking back and forth and, and setting up the podcast, um, we both shared our, our admiration for, for Jean Vanier, and you mentioned his name uh, a little bit earlier on the podcast as well. Um, and there's a great quote that you shared with me. Um, I'd love it if you if you um, would like to share that with the audience. Uh, you have to do Jean Vanier. Here it is. There is a revolution going on. We are beginning to realize that everyone, every human being is important. We are beginning to see that every human being is beautiful. At the heart of this revolution are not the powerful, the wealthy, or intelligent. It is people with disabilities who are showing us what is important. Love, community, and the freedom to be ourselves. Mm, the end. I love that. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so just one last question to, to wrap up the um, podcast here for you, David. If you had a, a billboard that the whole world could see, what would you put on that billboard? You know, I'm not trained in advertising and marketing. <laughs> I, I, uh, what's, yeah, just what's, okay, a, what's a message have, you want to share with the world? <clears throat> I have it be, uh, uh, um, the kind of billboard that it's, it's not static. It's, uh, um, Rotating? <laughs> no, uh, it's it's like a video. It's, okay. uh, uh, and so and that would be me with uh, just looking right out and getting full eye contact and saying, Honey, you are so smart. You can be anything you want to be. Really, honey, you are so smart. That will do it. I love that. So, you know, when it comes right down to it, that's all I have. That's all I have. I can give my theories and, uh, oh, I don't know. They're all good, but I, it's, well, it's like in the quote. It's love. Love is all there is. Love is all there is. Love is all there is. All you need is love, love. I love it, David. And uh, I think that's a good note to to wrap up our, our chat today. So uh, super grateful that uh, you created some uh, space to, to chat with me today and to share your story and um, share some of the lessons that you've you've learned along the way and uh, important messages. So um, appreciate uh, your time. And uh, I'll be saying hi to George Clooney in the morning. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> right Take care. Okay, thank you. Big thank you to David Roche for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure uh, interviewing him and really exploring his life journey and the lessons that, that he's learned and accumulated along the way to find his own inner beauty and his own sense of self-worth that that comes with that and hopefully for you there's a little nugget of something that that you took away for you that either you can go work on or that you can take with you to share with other people um, to help you or the people around you to find their inner beauty and uh, to at least start to think about that and reflect on it and next time you look in the mirror uh, make sure to to say hi to your uh, inner George Clooney or that beautiful inner sexy self that you have. And if housing is something that you're working on, uh, feel free to go to the website and get the free download on creating your home. So there's this great workbook that's going to help guide you through creating your vision and starting to implement your vision for what your home looks like. So go on over to the website. It's empoweringability.org. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of that. 
I'd like to thank all of our listeners that have left us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help me understand what I'm doing well, what I can improve on on the podcast, what you want to hear. So it's great feedback that you're providing. So please continue to do so. Also, by leaving a five-star review, it helps other people find the podcast. So thanks so much for those reviews. Next week on the podcast, our guest is Dale Reardon from Queensland, Australia. So first time that we're going around to the other side of the world to uh, to bring on a guest. So super excited about that. And Dale shares his story um, with disability and having a, a disability um, onset for him at uh, the age of 17. So um, I think you're going to enjoy his story. And Dale also tells us about the uh, online platform that he's building to help people with disabilities to build social connections and and share stories and lived experiences to support each other. And uh, it's called My Disability Matters. Uh, MyDisabilityMatters.club is the website. So go ahead and check that out now and uh, tune in next week for our chat about that. We also talk about the uh, NDIS um, in Australia, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So uh, if you're interested in learning about that as well, uh, we have a short chat about that. So thanks so much for listening again today and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability live a full and meaningful life.